Some rounds, birdies can be hard to come by. Fortunately for us all, some don't require that solid iron game to be found. Welcome to Bird Watchers, an expression of our eternal devotion to all things bird. Trade the rangefinder for a pair of binocs and keep an eye out for this week's featured bird. I uh, I didn't think best run at it. I didn't think you were gonna get this one. That's pretty good, Joey. Dude, Eight out of ten, man. I am uh, impressing myself with these. That's that's one of their calls. I think I think it'd be fun to have you do the all of the calls. Maybe one of the warning calls. That's like a what did you do there? That, actually, that was the warning. Call. That is the first result on YouTube. <laughs> is what that's called. All right, we're gonna we're gonna leave it to our listeners at home to to speculate on what Joey might be impersonating if the title of the podcast didn't give it away. Yeah, if you didn't get that already from the title, <laughs> you can guess which call it is. I guess which uh, I might have just given that away as well too. Uh, at well, any rate, they they'll still enjoy it. Pretty good, especially because you were just talking about me doing the dance, which I don't know <laughs> if I'll agree to that, but I'm here for the calls all day, all day long. If you're home listening, please do go and look up the dance of the sandhill crane along with its warning call and <laughs> you'll see joey <laughs> you'll see joey we had joey in here whipping up a storm with these and that was dude it's good man you're impressing me week on week with these i think that the uh the bard owl was a gimme but <laughs> sandhill crane was the exact opposite it's like the harder the harder they get, you just continue to rise to the I, challenge. I man. step up, man. I step up. How's life, Joey? Life's good. Life's good. Uh, played a little golf this past weekend, and actually, I told you about this already. I heard a barred owl, and as soon as I heard it, I was like, "That's a barred owl." Like, where where were you? That call. I was at Wildwood. At Wildwood, Wildwood Greens. Green. That's yeah. here in Raleigh. Uh huh. Yeah, we're up in North Raleigh, right off Five Forty in Creedmoor, and heard it as I was driving to the second tee box, and yeah, just. Turn my head like an owl. I heard it hit those eight notes. Round. Eight note call, yeah. Distinctive, isn't it? It stands yeah. out. You'll oh, never, for sure. You'll never forget now what yeah. that is. I heard it a few times, and I was just like singing along in my head as it was happening. That's cool. And during daylight hours, or was this a dusk round? It was a, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was, it was dusk. It was like six o'clock. Okay, so, that's about right. It was like close to the end of the day. Nice, man. Yeah. Dude, glad to see that uh, there's a little bit of practical application of all this newfound knowledge. I'm learning, yeah, and I was saying to Mindy, I was like, hey, that's a barred owl. Like, I know that call. <laughs> and, man, yeah, I bet you had her all kinds of impressed, too. Exactly, exactly. How about how you been? How's uh, life? Not bad, man. Not too much golf. Let's see. Uh, no, I spent all, I've been at the golf course all week, but I didn't get to play any. We've been um, the bent grass greens at, at Lonnie are struggling a little bit during this heat wave yeah. well we've had two two straight weeks of 90 plus days with most of those days getting above 95 98 yeah. 110 heat indexes so the bent grass doesn't love that and coupled with the absence of rain up until the last few days so they've been restricting play on the course trying to limit tea times during the uh during the heat of the afternoon sun as they should. It's much needed. Of course, is getting a lot of play. and Difficult to do it, a course like that. As much traffic as it gets. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's been a welcome relief for all of us, I think, uh, even though we all want to get out and take advantage of our socially distant fun. You know, the condition of the course has got to come first because, you know, can't let those greens burn out Mm -mm. and we'll be without golf for a while. Yeah. So I've been trying to do my part. I've just been working there. Um, So no no golf birdies lately at all? No golf bird. Uh, Okay. Let's. (laughs) I knew I'd. Let's. Yeah, we got to retract. I did play golf this weekend. I'm a complete idiot. We're just going to retract everything I just said. I did. uh, So I went to Coherry. I went to Clinton this past weekend. Uh, A friend of mine who has moved across the country, uh, but was the first golfer I knew probably, Festus Turlington. What up, Festus? Uh, Came into town. So I drove to Clinton last Wednesday to see him and play, and and for the first time in my life, I beat Festus out of of three doll hairs. There you go. Uh, I beat him three up, and then I came back on Saturday to play with Festus and Maroon May Field. All of us are from Clinton, and... Festus got his comeuppance. He beat me four up. <laughs> so not only did he beat me, he also beat me on the aggregate. So per usual, he got, it. he got the last laugh on the golf course. Mm. But we played solid. And then when I got off the course after a morning 18 with those guys, there were a group of my friends showing up in the parking lot. Uh, my old soccer coach, Jeff Smith, uh, some of these British guys who coach soccer in the Clinton area, Clinton and Raleigh area. They were, they were in the midst of what they described as a Ryder Cup an amateur Ryder Cup, very amateurish group. <laughs> so I slid in with these guys who most of them I haven't played golf with before. And we had a little 18 hole scramble team, team Euro versus team America. And you know, I led us to, led us to the victory. Hell yeah. Nearly lost my life in the process. I came, I told you the story and I think it's worth recounting. I came as close to losing my life as I ever have. <laughs> oh, I did hear the story. Uh, yeah. And it was on a golf course. Um, I was the victim of a sh- an S word. Yeah, we don't say that word. I, got, I was the victim of an S word, and I was, um, you know, foolishly sitting. I wasn't really in front of in front of Robbie, but I was slightly in front of Robbie, and about twenty yards, fifteen yards to his right. And one of those S words came flying at me, and life flashed I mean, before your eyes. I mean, I quite literally, I don't know how I did it, but I twitched my head, and it missed me, and as soon as it missed me, they're in the middle of the cart hanging like most golf carts have. There's a, like a, a pin sheet in the middle and plastic, sitting in plastic, and it just shattered that pin sheet uh, that would have been where my head was not a quarter of a second earlier. And so I kind of fell out on the ground, looked up at the sky like, thank you for another day. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah, that put things in perspective. I was like, man, that, that would have been... Um, I guess it would have been a fitting way for me to go out on the golf course, <laughs> but also <laughs> knew it would happen an way. untimely way. Well, hey, so, glad to have you sitting here today. Had a little bit of perspective. Didn't see any cool birds at, at Kahari. Didn't see the um, the eagles that we were. No, the uh, we have a pair of um, Cooper's hawks uh, or sharp shinned hawks. I'm actually not sure which they are. Cooper's and sharp shins are really really hard to distinguish they're basically the same species with a slight difference in size and a very very slight difference in coloration i've never been able to determine i'm going to go with coopers because they're generally more prevalent according to i'll take your word for it so yeah i didn't see those guys um i don't think i saw any birds of prey so yeah it was absent of birds i made a few birdies nice played okay good to hear Golf game's starting to trend up. Nice. You know, it seems to be that you get into this time of year and the golf game starts coming up. And then yeah. once the grass starts going dormant again in 
October, the game will start suffering a bit more, I'm sure. But at the moment, I'm kind of riding a high. Maybe get out this afternoon and do it a little more. Yeah, search for some birdies out there. But as always, good weekend in Clinton. Good weekend with friends. Absent the birds, not much to complain about. Hell yeah. Love to hear it. So what's our bird of the day? So today's bird of the day, if the title didn't give it away, we're discussing the Sandhill Crane, uh, a North American icon. We have two species of cranes in North America, the Sandhill um, and the Whooping Crane. The Whooping Crane is a much more um, threatened and endangered species. They're a bigger bird. They're more migratory, and they're... I'm trying to think of the name of the movie, not Homeward Bound, because I think that's a different... I don't even remember what species of bird is in Homeward Bound. I think geese. But at any rate, people have probably seen videos of of people using ultralights, like these little propeller-powered vehicles to lead cranes on their migrations, and those are whooping cranes. Sandhill cranes that we're going to get into this week are not a threatened species. Um, as a matter of fact, since the 60s, their populations have been steadily on the rise. If I'm not mistaken, the International Crane Foundation, which is a, a global body dedicated to the preservation of crane species throughout the world, during the 80s had a, a concerted effort to raise sandhill crane populations, particularly in the eastern part of the United States. And those goals that they had, which were, I think, were a population, a sustained population of 20,000 birds, I think that population ended up reaching 80,000 um, in the target area, which, you know, a, a fourfold increase on what they what they thought they could get to. So the prevalence of sandhill cranes, I'm sure many of you, especially if you live along the flyways, if you live in Florida or if you live in the Midwest, you, you see them by the, by the droves every year. So some cool things about sandhills. Let's touch on first. So we have two subspecies, two, two, okay, there's more than two subspecies. Let's say this. <laughs> we have greater and lesser sandhills. Those two subspecies are the migratory species. Greater Sandhills primarily inhabit the northern part of the continent. Lesser Sandhills primarily the lower half. But more or less, they follow the same sorts of flyways. They congregate together in staging areas, which we'll touch on. And the, distinct, the distinction is really just in size, slight coloration differences. There's enough genetic variance to justify the classification as two different subspecies. Uh, but for our intents and purposes, they're all Sandhill cranes. Gotcha. We also can get into, uh, there are three other subspecies, the Florida sandhill cranes, uh, the Mississippi sandhill cranes, and the Cuban sandhill cranes. And these three subspecies um, are non-migratory, and their range is, is extremely limited. So whereas greater and lesser sandhills you can find from Florida to Canada at various points of the year, depending on breeding seasons, depending on migration, Florida sandhill cranes, for example, you will find in certain areas like the Everglades and the coasts of Florida year-round. They don't migrate. So it's interesting how within one species you can have this kind of behavior uh, divergence, and that's more or less how we categorize those three subspecies is based on where geographically you can find them. Mm -hmm. Again, aside from slight differences in size, there's not a whole lot of difference. Uh, but these birds are can be found, they like to roost and nest in wetlands, uh, especially along the flyways. You'll find them in the intercoastal waterway and places like that. Most notably, you'll find them in, in large numbers in staging areas. The most common or the, the largest of which is in the Platte River Basin, uh, mostly in Nebraska. So the Platte River Basin is also home to an organization which we want to highlight this week, which is the Crane Trust, uh, which is an organization dedicated specifically to the Platte River and its ecological health. 
And in order to promote that ecological health, the Sandhill Crane forms a vital part of that ecosystem. And so their efforts are aimed at conservation of wetlands, preservation of the habitat, and working with locals to find solutions to crane problems. Um, in the early parts of the century, of the 20th century, cranes were, like a lot of animals, hunted, um, suffered from habitat encroachment, um, and in general, their populations were declining. That was up until the 60s when they became protected by the Migratory Birds Treaty Act. We touched on that with the barred mm-hmm. owl last week, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we will continue to. As a matter of fact, I think we could probably dedicate a whole episode to uh, the history of American bird conservation, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, the ESA, all those things. Mm-hmm. The Platte River Basin, at at times during the between February and April, you can find as many as 500,000 of these sandhill cranes migrating together or staging together. By staging, we mean they're en route to Canada to migrate for the summer, mm-hmm. to nest. And staging areas are places where they stop along the route for days, weeks, months at a time to nest, gain energy, or not nest, to gain energy, to feed, to group up together. Uh, they'll gain as much as 15 to 20% of their body weight uh, during these like three to six weeks they spend in this area. Bulking season like Bryson. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely, dude. They're getting ready getting ready for um, yeah. bulking season prior to mating season. A little different than PGA Tour season. Yeah. Different reasons, but same hey, outcome. To each their own. <laughs> So they, they come in these areas, and one of the issues associated with them in the area is, if you can imagine 500,000 of these four-foot-tall four birds uh, weighing 10 to 14 pounds each coming in, and their favorite food is corn, specifically corn seeds. So for farmers in Nebraska, <laughs> you know, it's kind of an issue yeah. <laughs> where, you know, corn is keen. And so uh, organizations like the International Crane Foundation and uh, the Crane Trust work with farmers to, and have worked with farmers to come up with different ways to mitigate crop destruction at the hands of cranes. That's been the number one source of human crane conflict since the 60s has been, well, we can't shoot them anymore, yet they're destroying our crops. What can we do? Um, some, some have used noise deterrents, like loud cannons they put out in the fields and they just shoot cannons to you know as a sound to scare the birds away Hmm. but all that does is scare them to another field yeah so it doesn't really solve the problem it just removes it from your hands puts it in somebody else's lap so the most effective method found has been uh, the use of a non-toxic pesticides not the word what is the word uh it's a chemical that they can you they can spray out on the seeds which makes them indigestible for birds. And by what I read about it, it basically creates an almost instant gut. What, what am I trying Just to say? Reaction? It, yeah, like, exactly. Like they, they immediately like want to spit these things back it out. Yeah. It's just making the stomach, you know, turn hurdles. And it's non-toxic and it's not, it's not a compound or a chemical that will stay within the, uh, the ecosystem or be, you know, goes from the crane and the crane poops it out and then it gets eaten by poopy creatures and then stays in there. So the toxicity levels, so it minimalizes, it's kind of a win-win, you know, because in the past certain chemicals were used that cranes would eat and not like it and they'd poop it out, but then that chemical stays and then it gets recirculated and then it causes, you know, ecological impacts down the road. So that's been actually a pretty successful thing because farmers want cranes around because cranes do do a lot of actually good things for crops they eat a lot of insects they eat weeds primarily their their work as as a pest control agent um so you want they want the cranes in their fields 
And so it's kind of a win-win if uh, where the cranes can ignore the corn seeds and just eat the little insects. Little they're they're yeah. omnivores, so although their primary diet is off of seeds, they do have a need, a, a dietary need for insects and vertebrates um, to get certain nutrients that's important for, uh, for fertility. Mm-hmm. So for them to have a successful breeding season, they do need to visit these fields and eat these pests and insects. And if you're scaring them away, you're also kind of having that knockdown effect of probably lower fertility rates mm-hmm. in the populations. So that's an important. And in terms of human conflict with cranes, um, those are, that's probably the, the primary issue, especially going forward, that we'll need to continue to need some resolutions because uh, the way this pesticide works is it's a learned behavior from cranes. They don't just instinctively know not to eat those seeds. They eat it, they learn, they don't eat it again. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a bunch of cranes coming to one field at once, that's a lot more birds eating a couple of seeds and then realizing so you're still losing some crops. So there are some, there's a need for continued uh, research into crane behavior and, and what can be used best as a deterrent. But for what we now, that's a pretty good alternative. Yeah. So as we're speaking on fertility, so cranes typically nest in marsh areas, uh, out in the middle of waterways. Um, they nest on the ground almost entirely. They make the nest out of whatever kind of uh, native foliage or vegetations around. They lay clutches of between one to three eggs, but almost always only ever raise one chick per brood. I should say only one chick usually survives to fledgling age, which is like what. So they stay with their parents until they're seven to eight months old. They start, they become fledglings at like four months old, so they can fly or three months old. And then they migrate together with the family. So they mate for life, the families. Mm-hmm. And the family units stay together. They migrate together. Uh, they might fly, you know, in large flocks, but they still stick to their own within those flocks. The only exception being in the staging areas when they're known to congregate in much larger groups, feed with larger groups, net, or I should say roost mm-hmm. in larger groups and not just with the family. Why is it that only one survives? Uh, it's a good question. Um, they're they're hard to raise, just like any child or any baby. Like it's just hard to raise. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the amount of time and effort that they're willing to put into raising. Just pick their favorite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and of course, and they only lay one clutch of eggs a year. And with only and typically a clutch will only have two eggs in it anyway. So just by the way that evolution has worked out for cranes, they usually you usually see a mother and a father with one child. One child policy. Interesting. So it makes it so that the recovery rates from from instances of predation or whatnot are, are relatively slow because of that, you know, it takes them a full year to raise one. Mm-hmm. And the fact that birds, the, the sandhill cranes, won't actually reach breeding age until they're as old as seven. So they might go the first six years of their life without ever finding a mate and breeding and just becoming just purely migratory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those factors lend to a slow recovering population. But as I said before, since the 60s, we've seen something around 5% population growth year on year from, 2000, from 1966 to 2014. So it's been a steady uh, yeah. climb for the Sandhills, and now they number in the hundreds of thousands, um, and they're considered low, low risk for endangered. Nice. Okay. Well, why are, I guess we're, we're at the 20-minute mark, but let me see if you can answer this somewhat shortly. Why is it that, so there's like the Florida and the Cuban, why is it that some are migratory and like others, those Florida ones just stick around? Is that just kind of an unknown? I don't know. Personally, I don't know. I know that um, 
it, it has to just be to do with the uh, divergence in the species. So obviously these are subspecies that they're scientifically recognized as such. So there is enough uh, biological difference between them to, to justify their categorization as different subsets. As for why they choose not to migrate, why they're not migratory, I don't know. Somebody with more knowledge on cranes than I would have to would have to tell us like what what specific behavioral patterns lend itself to not migrating. Lazy cranes, lazy birds. That's I can relate. I, I think I'd probably be a Cuban <laughs> for sure, or maybe a Mississippi. Uh, either one. Those are both nice places to spend year round. I would think. Ain't bad. Ain't bad. Uh, so for those listening at home, for more information on sandhill cranes and whooping cranes and what you can do to help, uh, we highly recommend checking out uh, the Crane Trust at cranetrust.org. It's a, an awesome organization that does a lot for the ecological health of one of the most important ecological areas in the country, which is the Platte River. So please do go check out. You can probably find some more information there. Give somebody a call there and they can tell you all about why it is certain species don't migrate. Yeah. And keep a lookout. It's, let's see, we're in July. So if you're in the northern parts of the country or Canada, now's the time. You'll be seeing a lot of them. If you're in Florida, you're already seeing them year-round anyway. Uh, then keep back an eye. They'll start their migration back south sometime around late January, early February. And they'll be coming back through uh, the Platte River Flyway, which is sort of through Nebraska, through the middle of the country. And then there are also flyways more along the east coast, along the Mississippi River, where you'll find them coming through. So keep eyes out. Let us know. Nice. And maybe do a little dance for them as they fly overhead. Yeah, do a little dance. Shoot us uh, any questions or birds you want to see uh, at Lion Loft on Instagram. Follow us. Give us, a, give us a message and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, you go to lionloft.com. Scroll to the very bottom. Enter your email in and sign up. So until next week, Joey. Until next time. Thank you.